It's so secret we can't talk about it. What does that mean for America? I've got a vision for what I want to do for the country. See, I know exactly where I want to lead. It's so secret we can't talk about it. What does that mean for America? I've got a vision for what I want to do for the country. See, I know exactly where I want to lead. It's so secret we can't talk about it. What does that mean for America? I've got a vision for what I want to do for the country. See, I know exactly where I want to lead. You were both in skull and bone for secret society. Hear it first on FirstAmendmentRadio.com and FirstAmendmentRadio.net, around the world and on satellite. talking about the coercive church and that coercive church is not what most people think it is they think uh, of some sort of authoritarian totalitarian church down there who's uh, telling people what they can believe and can't believe or or maybe they're thinking of the inquisition church of the 1100 1200 1300 era when millions of people died at the point of a sword because they didn't accept a particular church or maybe they're thinking of the uh, church and state uh, persecution of those who became the Congregationalists that we talked about earlier at, in Blog Talk Radio. What the course of church is, is what almost every modern Christian is involved in. And it is much more pervasive in our day-to-day lives than we think. We have contracted with it, we have become members of it, we have been baptized by it, and we are serving it. Instead of serving Christ, we're actually doing the exact opposite of the instructions given to us by Christ, and we don't know this because our ministers don't know it, or if they do know it, they're not willing to preach it. And unfortunately, there are many ministers out there who have heard this message and they say, I can't say this to my congregation because I will lose funding. I will lose the support of my congregation. In other words, they go about tickling the ears of the people rather than speaking the truth. When Christ was brought before Pontius Pilate, Pilate asked him, what is the truth? He wanted to and we need to want what the truth is too. When Jesus said, thou sayest that I am a king, To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, and I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. So are you going to hear what I have to say today that I believe is a message from Christ? It is the message of Christ, the message that he was imparting to us in the Gospels of the kingdom. Or are you going to resist it? Well, pray that you have the humility to hear the message of Christ and what I am saying. If I am not saying the message of Christ, let me know. 
but we have done our homework. We have gone the extra mile to find out what is the truth. And the truth is Jesus Christ was the king of Judea, and his apostles were the ambassadors of the kingdom of Judea around the world. There was another group there claiming to be the kingdom of Judea, but they had no king but Caesar. They had bowed down to Caesar. They had made covenants with Caesar. They depended on Caesar. They looked to Caesar to be their comforter. They had abandoned the teachings of Moses. They had abandoned the ways of Moses. They still claimed Moses, but there was nothing but vanity in what they were doing, and destruction came quickly. Will destruction come for us if we are not truly following the ways of Christ? Well, we will see. Jesus preached the kingdom. He was a king. He was proclaimed as king by the people when he entered Jerusalem. He was proclaimed as king by uh, the procurator of Rome, Pontius Pilate. Everybody knew he was a king from shepherds to kings. The only one who doesn't seem to realize that he was an actual king of a government are modern Christians. They give him lip service, but in reality, when they need their daily bread, they pray to the fathers of the world, not uh, the fathers of the earth, which we were not to call any man father upon the earth. We were not to look to them. And we talked earlier about the idea of elders being the heads of families. God created the institution of the family. Man created all these other governments. And if these other governments invade the right of the family, the sacredness of the family, then they are opposing God. They are in opposition to God. Family is key. Congregations of families is key to what the church is and what the church should be doing. The church should be serving the tabernacles of the congregation. In other words, the tents of the homes of the individual members of congregations. They should be creating a stronger and stronger family unit and bringing those family units together in congregations based in faith, hope, and charity which is love. This is the nature of the church. If your church is doing anything other than that, chances are it's straying from the ways of Christ, and it needs to repent and turn just as you need to repent and return to the ways of Christ. We would not have the societies that we have today if we were truly following Christ. We would not be in the economic or moral uh, predicament that we see around the world today if we were truly following Christ. The church has been leading people to the church instead of leading people to Christ, and we need to repent and turn around. Now, in order to read the New Testament, we need to see it in the context of that time. And so I have a quote here from uh, Yule Evangelical Dictionary talking about those times. And they say, in Jesus' day, an impressive system of welfare tended the poor. The tithe of grain and fruit could first be exchanged for silver, silver for grain, wine, oil, whatever would promote the joy of the people in the price. The tithe also functioned as a kind of tax to support the temple and its personnel. And administration was in charge 
of the storehouse for the continued welfare of the personnel. Uh, the presentation of any offering required careful adherence to prescribed regulations. What are they talking about? Judea was a government. Israel was a government. It had the same responsibilities as of any other government. They had to not only provide for guns, which they did through a local militias gathering together through the same network, which was the congregations of the people, but it, it also provided for the social welfare needs of the people through that same. Remember, Israel was gathered together in family groups of ten, a family being an elder, the eldest father of a family that was still contributed to by his sons even after they were married so that there was a common fund to help that family out, provide for the needs of that family, help them start businesses, help them build homes, everything within that family. You did not leave your father or mother's house entirely even when you got married because if you were to die, where did your wife and children go? Who took care of them? was the family. So you were still part of that family, and the head elder of that family had given you permission to marry in a frank marriage where you had authority over your family, but you continued to honor your father and your mother and enrich them so that they may rich enrich the whole family. And what better system to do this to except for father and mother? Because despite the failings of most fathers and mothers, they still have more love for you than any government agency on the face of the earth. This was the government of God, was the family. Now, how did those families gather together without diluting the right of each and the family? They had to gather together in faith, hope, and charity. And they gathered together in congregations. To be efficient, they created a structure of ten families and a minister which I continually repeat over and over again because it's a message that we keep coming back to because those congregations are bound by love. And those congregations of congregations must be bound by the same love, which is why they pick overseers of that love to make sure that that love is implemented. If there is a need in this congregation that overwhelms it, you have an overseer to bring that need to the awareness of the other nine congregations. That is his job, not to rule over, not to dictate doctrine. He has dictated doctrine in his own heart, but he has a job. He has a function, and if you don't follow that function in your congregations and churches and care about other congregations as much as you care about your own, then you are not following the will of Christ. So, a little more historical context. In 78 BC, the Pharisees, which were a political party, thought they had a better idea than what had been going on in Israel and Judea for a thousand years before, which was the support of the needy through free will offerings. They thought some people were not doing their fair share and they were getting out of their responsibility, and they thought they had a right to dictate what people should give, how much they should give, and make sure everybody paid their fair share. So the Sanhedrin, which was the equivalent of the uh, uh, your uh, Congress at the time, they actually developed a socialist scheme whereby the rich would have to pay in a little bit more 
to make sure that the needy were taken care of. And since the majority were not the rich, the rich were soon uh, pressed to uh, add this kind of corporate rich excise tax or income tax to pay into the temple to make sure that the temple had enough funds to take care of the needy. The temple was a government building. This is where you went for your welfare, for your unemployment, for your workman's comp, or whatever it was that you needed to sustain you in hard times. You went to the government, and the government was at the temple because that was the way in which they operated. The same is true of Rome. Their temples, many of their temples, were designed to be a sort of welfare uh, investment program. It wasn't that way originally. They were free will offerings originally, even in Rome. But as time went on, they began to operate more like the Greeks and, and thinking that it was okay to force their neighbor to contribute to their welfare. And they had to do this in a kind of a graduating stage because if they did not, people would rebel immediately. So it's like that frog going into the water. They gradually do it. They pick on the richest of the rich first. Nobody cares about them because they're rich. They can afford it. And then gradually the amount that you pay in becomes greater and greater. And the power that you give the individuals to control those funds is not good because it corrupts those individuals. At the time of Christ, the, uh, the priests of the temple were living in an opulent lifestyle that exceeded that even of the king himself. And they had guarantees, and they had protections, and they had huge funds, and there was graft, and they were depleting the source of the, these people's social security fund that was in the temple uh, through their extravagances. So anyway, we see that this uh, system had begun in 78 BC. Herod had not yet come on the scene, but shortly after that, Herod became the king, and Herod had a grand scheme. Uh, he, uh, the temple that he wanted to make was the largest in the world, a quarter of a mile long by a fifth of a mile wide. 20,000 functionaries were employed in its service. Now, in a government building, what are they doing? Are there 20,000 people killing sheep and burning them up all the time? Well, they did have animal sacrifice, but they were actually also providing all the social welfare. So everything wasn't burnt up. A great deal of the contributions went into this huge royal treasury, this gastrophone, uh, which we see Jesus in giving instructions to its ministers once he was heralded into Jerusalem as the rightful king. And that's exactly what he did. He said, okay, you're not going to be carrying vessels through here anymore, whatever that meant. He, he's giving instructions. We see clearly in the Bible that only the king could do, honey changers, only the king could do that since the days of David and Samuel. And there he was doing that. That was because he was the king. And everybody knew it. And so he got away with it. But it also caused people to lose millions and millions of dollars. It was something I talked to you about. Uh, the uh, This was a, a tax month then. Uh, I have it here in the book, Higher Liberty. Uh, the tribute could exceed 7,600,000 denarii in that one month alone. The money changers allowed to change that silver miha uh, of about one-fourth of a dinar. Uh, their cut or commission 
on this one tax event that Jesus stopped by overturning those tables would have been 950,000 denarii, which would have been worth in the year 2000 about $9 million. They weren't going to get that $9 million. Well, if anybody knows what the price of silver was, that would be probably close to $90 million. These guys who were the money changers at the temple that month weren't going to get that $90 million. And they weren't going to get it because Jesus had just fired them. He had uh, turned over the tables and said, you can't run them anymore. You're not going to get your clip. Now you see the urgency of crucifying Christ. Follow the money. This idea of entrusting this huge fund in the temple was what they called mammon. You can look up in the Encyclopedia Britannica the word mammon comes from an Aramaic word uh, that means wealth. It uh, normally meant, uh, it was mammon, uh, entrusted to safekeeping. What you were doing was you were paying into a social security system, and those funds were kept in the treasury to provide you with social security needs, such as if you became blind or you became indigent in some way, they would take care of the poor there at the temple and that's why you'd see the poor there and someone would be begging because those social security benefits weren't always enough to provide you with every need and so they would beg a little bit more but they had a certain amount guaranteed that would come to them by way of the temple and this was corbin this corbin simply means sacrifice you read sin of corbin on on our website you will see that the word corbin uh, simply meant sacrifice. It was used in uh, Rome. It was used even in the Koran. Later on, you would see the word Corbin there. It means sacrifice, and it's what you gave up to help take care of the needy of your society. Remembering that pure religion was the taking care of the needy of your society, unspotted from the world. What do they mean by unspotted from the world? They mean without the world's benefits. Why don't you want the world's benefits, the other government's benefits? because those benefits are collected by men who exercise authority. Those benefits are provided not by faith, hope, and charity in the perfect law of liberty, but they are provided by a socialistic forced system of contributions. Well, how can you bring in such a system? Well, they had such a system in Egypt. They, you had to pay in 20% of your income. And that, in, that money went into the treasury and was there to provide you with social welfare in times of calamity or disaster. The problem is that, that the ministers of that are men who exercise authority one over the other. They're not men of service. They're men of authoritarian power. To give them that power to force those contributions, you've got the wrong people in office. No matter who runs for office, you have the wrong people in office. Because the nature of the office is an authoritarian one, not a titular one of service, which is what Christ was preaching to his government, was this titular system of service, where we don't exercise authority, we don't compel your offerings, we provide the services, and then if you so choose to um, donate to those services, you get to make that choice. Now, people haven't made that choice. It's like suddenly telling somebody who's been laying on the couch for 20 years, okay, we're going to start running um, marathons and uh, doing uh, 100 push-ups. They are incapable of doing it. They, 
they they even if they wanted to they couldn't do it because their spiritual muscles are atrophied and they have to turn around and start a new way in luke 20 17 we see but the pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of god against themselves being not baptized of him now they didn't say they weren't baptized they said they weren't baptized of him well why would they say it that way that's because there was another baptism going on at the same time that jesus and john the baptist were baptizing people and so many people are completely unaware of this other baptism and that form of baptism was presented by herod herod was out sending ministers out all over judea all over even the roman empire because he didn't just build the temple at jerusalem he built other temples as well and they had treasuries and they had a social welfare system where you could contribute except for your contributions were not free will offerings anymore because you had made the free will choice of being baptized by his ministers when you were baptized by his ministers they wrote your name down the scribes did the accountants did they wrote down how much you were contributing they knew how much you were making and how much you were offering. There were Gabi and Molokai all over watching what you would make. They would actually go out, out and paste off your grain bills to determine the tax that you were going to have because you had been baptized in the kingdom of heaven operated by Herod and his ministers out of this golden temple in Jerusalem. You had to pay into their system because you were a member. You were guaranteed an entitlement, but you had to pay in. And your whole family was responsible. You drop dead, they're still going to come and collect the taxes from the, that wheat field and because they know that wheat field's this big, they estimate the crop. You were going to have to pay in that amount to the temple, made the temple rich, had lots of funds to help you with those many, many benefits that they were offering but you had to pay in or you could be subject to prosecution under penalty of law. Herod's scheme of initiation into the new form of Judaism was immensely successful. Jews everywhere were willing to join the worldwide society. I'm quoting from a book. Uh, the book is uh, Jesus and the Riddle of the Dead Sea Scrolls. This is why they tried to hide the Dead Sea Scrolls from you so that you might because you might actually put two and two together and figure it out. Entry was for members only. They had to show at the door an admission token in the form of a white stone from the River Jordan, which the missionaries gave them at baptism. On the stone was written a new Jewish name. Hebrew letters have numerical corresponding values. So a Jewish name would give you a numerical value. This was the mark of the beast of Herod. There was another mark to come that was the mark of the beast of Nero. And you had to have that in order to enter into the marketplace. You had to have that in order to exchange goods. But fortunately, the kingdom of God was at a hand, and many people who were faithful had an underground economy, a separate economy, that was actually a legal economy. It was a lawful economy. Maybe we should use that term instead. Because 
Jesus Christ was king. Jesus Christ was king. Jesus Christ was king. These are the men that did contrary to the decrees of Caesar because they were not subject to the decrees of Caesar because they said there is another king, one Jesus, one that was clearly recorded by Pontius Pilate, sealed in the blood of Jesus Christ, and that was the kingdom of God. And that's what the church was attending to, and that is what the modern church has forgotten and abandoned in exchange for the benefactors who exercise authority. They have delivered the whole world into bondage, and it is time that the modern church repent and begin to seek the kingdom of You're listening to FirstAmendmentRadio.com Worldwide. Freedom is never free. We need your support today at FirstAmendmentRadio.com. Gold and silver is tremendously undervalued. Global demand vastly exceeds mine supply by more than 60% annually. There is little in the financial world more certain than a coming explosion in the prices of gold and silver. The U.S. dollar continues to lose value and respect as the world's reserve currency. Our nation faces challenges on many fronts, and a day doesn't pass without another economist bringing forth warnings of impending economic calamity. There has never been a better time than right now to acquire physical gold and silver. Discount Gold and Silver Trading was founded on the principles of truth and honesty. We believe in providing a quality product, quality service, and most importantly, competitive pricing. We provide all forms of precious metals, including American gold, silver, platinum, and rare investment and circulated coins. Silver bars, rounds, and 90% silver bags are on hand for the silver investor. Gold self-directed IRAs are available. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. Toll free, that's 1-800-375-4188. Now listen to me. The Bible says, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. I want you to know that a corporation is Caesar. Government takeover of the church. This DVD is the most powerful tool we have for waking up those asleep in the pews. The scripture calls for his people to come out of her. The corporate church is the apostate church, the whore that rides the beast. Get this DVD for a donation of $25 from FirstAmendmentRadio.com. Make copies and give them away to your corporate church friends and loved ones. The truth will make them free. They will watch the DVD cover of the church. Order online today at FirstAmendmentRadio.com or call 559-781-3773. Who will tell them if not you? You are listening to the Worldwide First Amendment Radio Network. We do not have freedom of speech because the Constitution gives it to us. The Constitutional Amendment was written to keep the government from taking our freedom away. The Creator gave us our rights, but He also gives us the capacity to do evil or usurp the rights of others. Our individual rights end where the rights of another begin. No one has the right to do evil because evil can never be right. Those who would seek to limit your right to speak or hear the truth are the same who seek to subjugate, control, and enslave you. Freedom is not free. 
Support the Worldwide First Amendment Radio Network by going to firstamendmentradio.com on the Internet and following the instructions there to support us. Thank you for listening. If you're not a part of the Living Network, I recommend that you go to our website at hisholychurch.org and you join the Living Network because just listening to radio programs is not going to help you. Just uh, being a part of some email group isn't going to help you either. But in joining the Living Network, you may be able to find other people in your area that are beginning to awaken and beginning to repent and beginning to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. By learning to love one another, take care of one another, watch each other's back, be of service to one another, and be the government of God where they govern themselves according to the principles of Christ. Sitting back and thinking, I believe in Jesus, is not doing any more than what Satan is doing. Satan believes that Jesus was the Son of God. But Satan is not doing the will of God. He is not loving his neighbor. He is manipulating his neighbor. He is forcing his neighbor to do what he wants him to do. And that's what the modern church has started to do for the last 100, 200, 300 years in America, at least for the last 100 years. They have been thinking it's absolutely okay to force my neighbor to contribute to my welfare. It is absolutely okay to force my neighbor at the point of a gun, at the at the enforcement of law to take care of my social needs, to educate my children. Public school is diametrically, by the way in which it is created and funded, opposed to Christ because you depend upon men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. You cannot make that transition back to the kingdom in an instant for most of us. But you can turn around and start going that way. And you say, well, how can I teach my kids at home? Well, both my wife and I have to work in order to pay the bills. Well, maybe you're living beyond your means. That's going to become very common a place because maybe it wasn't beyond your means yesterday, but it's beyond your means today because of the slowdown in the economy. But the reality, if you come together in congregation, bound together by faith, hope, and charity, and not some dictated doctrine made up by some theologian with way too much time on his hands, but actually in real working ways of loving one another. You can home teach your kids. You can't net of your own society, blessed by God, because you actually care as much as you care about yourself. What is about that? And understanding the value of that in society how that will change the whole nature of society. And if you go the way of Herod, if you go the way of Nimrod, if you go the way of Egypt, that that will change the nature of your society too. It will create a selfish society, an arrogant society, a self-centered society, which is what you have in most cases throughout the world. It is time to repent and get the religion of Christ instead of the religion of Herod where you force your neighbor to contribute to the welfare of the needy. You need to do it by volunteerism. Now, yes, most people will not do that, and that system will continue to exist until it completely fails. It is the unrighteous mammon, and you may have to pay into it for the time being. Do not try to escape the system. Try to seek the kingdom. 
That is where Christ starts his gospel. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and his righteousness. His righteousness is based on faith, hope, and charity, and free will offering. You aren't doing that in your churches today. You aren't doing that in taking care of the social welfare needs of your congregation. So until you're doing that, you're not ready for the kingdom. But you need to get ready, and you need to get ready fast. So the Christian system of welfare operated by faith, hope, and charity only. Israel was a government and not a religion alone. What's happened is the United States government, the Australian government, the Canadian government, the English government, and almost every other government throughout the world has gotten into the realm of religion. Religion being the taking care of one another, taking care of the needy of your society. And they are systems of force and compliance. And so, therefore, they are taking care of the needy through force and compliance. And that's why they have all gone the way of socialism. And it actually should be amusing, historically speaking. We see places like uh, Cuba, heavily socialist society, laying off thousands upon thousands of government employees saying socialism is a failure. At the same time, the United States is dipping deeper into the socialist state. Socialist states all around the world, what did England just laid off like millions of employees, government employees, because socialism doesn't work. Yet in the United States, we still haven't quite figured that out yet, and they're actually encouraging people to go more and more towards socialism. Of course, the reality, the reality is, is that our socialist tendencies is the result of our abandonment of the precepts or the name of Christ. The name of Christ is the character of Christ. The character of Christ is to give of yourself willingly to feed my sheep through free will offerings. It is not forcing your neighbor. You cannot be a Christian and send men to your neighbor's house to force him to contribute. Remember in Matthew 18.25, they talk about a servant who owed money and everybody in his family was going to be sold to pay this debt. You've already done that. Every man, woman, and child in the United States who has gotten the baptism of Herod and been registered as a member of his social welfare scheme called Social Security, which is identical to that of what Herod was offering back then, and originally in 78, but then eventually under Herod, which is uh, about 25 years before Christ, he began to uh, implement this system. Actually, it's probably a little bit more than 25 years before Christ with Herod. But uh, you have to remember the whole world was undergoing a change. You know, uh, Caesar Augustus had uh, come into power. Uh, Rome was now an empire. The republic was virtually dead. It had uh, semblances of that republic, and we talk about that in books like Higher Liberty and the Covenants of the Gods, which you can get free online if you join the Living Network. Uh, otherwise, you can order them online. But the the reality is is that that system that Herod created, we have created too, because there is <coughs> excuse me, there is a natural tendency a man to return to his uh, vomit and to his mire, and we need to repent of that and turn away from that and go the other way. But in Matthew eighteen twenty five. The man's whole family now under this debt, and they all will be sold off to pay this debt. And, of course, you've already been sold off. Your children have been sold into this debt. 
and the debt is growing rapidly, and you have chosen leaders that are intending to make it go even more so to break the bank and destroy this uh, economy entirely. And they do it openly, you know, with their bailouts and stuff, and they're firing up their printing presses, and you don't do anything about it because your preachers aren't teaching you, and because most of you have given up going to church. Why go to church for it? They don't do religion. My religion is down there at the social welfare office. Those are the ones who are going to provide for the needy of my society. Those are the ones who are going to provide for my poor. So why do I need to go to church at all? I don't need church. We don't need church. What do we need church for? We got government because the government has taken on the role of the church. It provides, it goes from house to house and divides the bread. 40 million Americans are in bread lines today. That means 40 million people. Why don't we get films of that on the news, seeing them standing out there in bread lines? Because they don't have to. It's the invisible bread lines of food stamps. You get on the food stamp program. I just got an email from someone who decided, you know, a single mother who said, I'm not going to take that anymore. It's making me slothful. And she gave that up. She gave up her food. She didn't reapply for food stamps. And when she's telling uh, the people at Costco that she's not getting that anymore, they they point out the fact that people come in with their food stamps, not only buy pop and candy and, and all these things that are probably not good for them, but they also buy lobsters. We have some of the nicest bread lines in the world in America. They're not waiting for a loaf of bread or a bowl of soup. They're waiting for lobster and candy and Doritos and all kinds of good things, or theoretically good things. I'm using the word facetiously. And they're in bread lines, and you're financing those bread lines, and they're voting for more socialism because socialism allows them to do anything they want. And that's what they want. They want to do anything they want. Well, let them have their socialism. We need to set the table of the Lord. We need to operate completely different. We're gone the ways of Rome, the gone the ways of Herod, and we have been baptized in the wrong church. It's the coercive church. It's a church that forces the contributions of the people once you become a member, and we need to repent of that. Now, what did they talk about further on in Matthew 18:25? Here's this servant as he begs, oh, please don't beat me. Please don't sell my children. Please don't keep me in this debt. Forgive my debt. He forgives the debt. And what does that man do? He goes out and beats his servants, those who owe him, and he forces them. And then the master comes back and says, oh, so now I forgive you, but you won't forgive them, and he punishes him immensely. That is where you're at today, folks. Christ forgave your debt. He died on the cross, and you've gone back into debt again, and you won't forgive the debt of others. The, those men who minister those systems of social security and those systems of governmental welfare, those benefactors, those men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority, those are your priests. Those are your ministers. That is your church. That is your religion. And it's not a pure religion because it is very spotted by the world. But worse than that, your ministers do not forgive debt just had a call from somebody who uh, owes like 30-40% of everything they earned last year to uh, in taxes, and they simply don't have the money. 
and they've asked to file for extensions, but they simply don't have the money. The economy is not as good as it was, and they had a huge amount of debt to begin with, and they unfortunately paid off some of their debt but did not pay off the IRS. Well, the IRS is probably the least forgiving of those they owe. If you owe the IRS $1,000 and you don't pay it, before you blink, you'll owe them $2,000 in penalties and interest. They will beat the tar out of you if you don't pay it because that is the spirit of your church. Your church beats those who don't pay. They bring them into court. This is exactly what was happening at the regard the ancient confederation of Hebrew tribes that endured in Palestine from the 15th century B.C. until a monarchy was established about 1020 B.C. as an embryonic republic. Israel was originally a republic. Its leaders were titular. It depended on free will offerings for the caring of its uh, indigent in its society, and its military was supported by a local militia that came together in time of war. Uh, thousands would show up at a drop of a hat to defend the nation because they were bound together with this sense of honor and faith and hope and charity, things that we hear some of these uh, personalities on the radio talking about again. We need to get back to that, and we need to get back to that quickly. And that is what this congregational setting of his church is all about. You've got to get, to get back together locally on a local level so that you can be of help to one another. I can't just send you email and help you out in hard times. You can't just listen to another radio program in hard times. You need to find other people who care about your needs as much as you care about those and theirs and get together and start forming these bonds of congregationalism. But you need to do it without forgetting about the other congregations round about you. Very simple concept. I repeat it over and over again. The same is true of the early church. They formed congregations of ten. If you go into the, the church in New England, where so many nurseries of free men training them in the principle in the principles of self government and accustoming accustoming <laughs> to the feeling of independence. And those petty organizations were developed in practice the principles of individual and national freedom. Each church was a republic in embryo. The fiction became fact, the abstract a reality. The nature of those congregations changed the course of American history. The nature of your modern church is changing the course of American history too, and it is leading it back into socialism, back into Rome, back into Egypt. And that is where you are waking up now. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to repent? Are you going to come together in those embryonic congregational republics that care about each other, that bind themselves together with love and honor? That is what we need to be doing. And we need to be doing that in earnest. And we need to be doing that now because the unrighteous mammon will fail. You see it now. They're telling you in the news. You don't need a prophet. You can see this in the news. It's failing. It's crumbling about you. And you're not coming together, and you need to come together, and you need to come together now, and that's why we created the Living Network. 
understanding that the course that you take changes the course of your own history. It changes the course in which you're going. Starts to give a reality to the words repent, turn around, go another way. And we need to turn around and go that other way, and we need to go that other way rapidly. In the article of the Coercive Church, you can see, and you read in the footnotes, that this concept of a society that forced the contributions has become prevalent and far away from the teachings of Moses and Abraham, who talked about free will offerings, had become prevalent in that society, bringing it more and more into the Roman Empire mold, not the original Roman Republic, but the Roman Empire mold, which is where Americans and Canadians and Australians find themselves today. And they wonder, how are we going to solve this problem? Elect a different Caesar, elect a different Congress, a different Sanhedrin, a different Senate. And the reality is, unless you elect men who have the spirit of service, you're not going to get what you want. And the fact is, you're not going to get what you want because the majority of the people want to go the ways of Herod, the ways of Nimrod, the ways of Baal, the ways of the Nicolaitans. If you don't know what those things mean, you should read the articles on our website and find out how far those terms have gone today. We need to repent. We need to turn around. We need to go away from that. We need to join the non-coercive church, and we need to start coming together. A minority will do so, but that's okay. A minority will make a difference. Five percent of the Roman Empire became Christian. And we're not talking the Christians we're talking today. We're talking about the Christians who cared for one another, who took care of one another, who did not go to the extensive welfare systems of the Pharisees, the extensive welfare systems of Rome and Augustus and, and uh, the other Caesars. They went to each other. Those that had shared with those that didn't have. And the, even as 5%, they became so prominent, so virtuous, so faithful, so fruitful in the decline and fall of the Roman Empire that even Rome tried to emulate what they were doing under Constantine. But unfortunately, the emulation didn't go as far as it needed to go. And in fact, that's where the authoritarian church began to raise its head again, was in that church of Constantine. But before they got to that point, we saw them, you know, Constantine saying, get baptized, become a Christian. But he didn't say repent and get baptized. And they didn't really repent. And they lost the emphasis on the turning around and going another way. We were told in the Old Testament, thou shalt make no covenants with them nor with their gods. We have made many covenants. We have made many agreements. And we've made them with these men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. And we thought it was okay because our churches were not really preaching the full gospel of the kingdom. And if you don't like to hear that, then you might as well just turn off the radio because I'm going to keep telling you that over and over again. Because I'm not here to tickle your ears. I'm here to tell you the truth. And the fact is the truth hurts, but it will not hurt forever if you repent. If you turn around, if you turn around, you will go another way. In the Old Testament, this show you how common this problem is. In the Old Testament, it says, cast in thy lot among us. Let us all have one purse. My son, walk not thou in the ways of them 
Refrain thy foot from their path, for their feet run to evil, to make haste to shed blood. They're talking about socialism. Have one purse for gain? Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird, and they lay wait for their own blood, and they lurk privately for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone that is greedy for gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. You get no benefits from the benefactors who exercise authority that hasn't been already taken away from somebody else. The government is not giving you their money. They're giving you their neighbor's money. The entire system of socialism is based on the concept that it is okay to covet your neighbor's goods through the agency of government. And your churches have not seen that such basic, fundamental, define of the ways of God and the laws of God. That you actually have people who are going to church saying they believe in Jesus Christ and socialism at the same time. You cannot do that unless you're Satan himself. Satan does that. He believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but he also believes that it is okay to force you to do what he thinks is right. He wants to be ruler over you. And he, in order to do that, he wants you to think it's okay to rule over your neighbor. You want to be free. You need to set your neighbor free from your own wanton avarice, your own covetousness, and let him go. And say, I will serve the Lord alone, even if he slays me, even if I die, even if I cannot find enough provisions for myself, I will not force my neighbor to contribute to my welfare. I will not live by the sword. I will not live by the systems of Herod, that Corbin, that makes the word of God to no, none effect. That's a process. And I don't want people walking the plank and jumping ship without a life vest. Start coming together because this is what we're told. This is the instruction. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You need to start coming together loving one another. Wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there also I am. That is what Christ is saying. Gather together. How? You just got together in a prayer group and mumbled a bunch of prayers, or are you actually coming together in practical and real ways that bear fruit in your society? This is what we need to do. In 2009, the total of bank failures was the highest annually since 1992 at the height of the savings and loan crisis. In 2009, failures cost the insurance fund more than $30 million. 25 banks failed in 2008, and the year the financial crisis struck was forced only three succumbed in 2007. We need to change our ways and change the way in which we are operating in the world. We need to seek another way, which is the ways of Christ. Uh, there actually should have been more banks that failed. We talk about it in other recordings on banking, which we will be making available uh, within a week or so. We've had a little computer problem here. <laughs> but uh, 
the the fact is is this coercive church concept leads to these types of failures this is signs that the unrighteous mammon is failing it is as well as the fact that you've gone two years without uh, cost of living increases in social security this will continue there were riots in jerusalem at the time of jesus christ under pontius pilate because the government had pilfered some of the funds for Social Security, Corbin, to produce an aqueduct for the benefit of all of Jerusalem, a public work. They said that should have been a separate deal. You should not have taken the funds out of our Social Security fund. The fact is that's done all the time. Herod put down those riots. I mean, not Herod, but Pontius Pilate put down those riots. But the reality is, is that people saw that their system was being in robbery, had broken and stolen it away. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 9764. You'll find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.